One Week Season. to the OWS Weekend Review Show for Week 5 of the NFL season. I am your host, Todd Burrows, at Best Ball NFL, and I am joined, as always, by my partner in crime, Hilo, who you can find on Twitter at HiloFF, and we will review, as we do regularly, our processes and how we apply them, any regrets or things we would do differently, and of course, last but not least, our results. Now, I want to, again, bring in the man who writes more articles weekly than he plays lineups, Mark Garcia. You know him as Hilo. Hilo, how are you today? What's up, brother? Ain't that the truth, though? I came up with another one. It's in lineups, and... uh, you challenged me to try and do it every week. I don't know that we'll make it every week, but I, I always like to start a podcast with a joke. Uh, unfortunately, the joke yesterday, my friend, was my lineups. Oh, man. Yeah, it was. Uh, we'll talk about it. <laughs> but yeah, I uh, I wasn't too happy with some of the decisions that I made uh, in crunch time there last week. So. so you played Zach Wilson, even though he wasn't on the slate? Yeah, no, no. I all week I was building around uh, a very tight core. And but what, what I, did you do without the Jets on the slate? I, dude, I shouldn't have played. I don't know honestly. how you actually lose money without playing the Jets. <laughs> They're my money makers, man. <laughs> all right. So um, you warned that this slate could change a lot based on injuries, and it certainly did. How did you uh, prepare for this, and how did you adjust to it, especially as in regards to Madison, who was the main man who changed things? I know I was really shocked to see that he was 53% owned, considering the news didn't come down until about an hour and a half before the slate locked. Did you expect that kind of ownership? And if you knew he would be that much owned, what ownership would you have had? I asked you like four different things there. So take your time. Yeah, I was trying to piece together my thoughts there. But I think, so the way that I handled the the overall injury news for this week was building if-then lineups. So I would make dry runs as if Dalvin Cook was playing. I would make dry runs as if he would be out. And uh, and I did that for basically all the different um, injury situations that kind of were around the league. Um, Which is easier to do when you have more kids than lineups. No, that's way harder to do. Like, Dad... Come help me do no, this. No, what I mean but, is, like, I had a, I had oh. 200 and something lineups. Um, it's a lot easier to, to make it, you know, have before and afters. Uh, yeah, if uh, yeah, if you're not running as many lineups. I see what you're saying. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Um, 
the I guess what you could do is there's a way to save outputs from optos into CSVs, right? And then oh, absolutely, yes, yeah, and, so, and that and that's something that I think that I'm going to do going forward. You just gave me the idea um, because I it, it's really hard once you um you know once you uh, do it to uh, to turn back, so to speak. Um, what I mean by that is uh, it, it's, it's you know, the way that I do it by doing different runs for each quarterback. So what I just started doing was popping Madison into different lineups by hand. And I did that for about 45 minutes. I got up to about 68 lineups, which was 23%. I just said, all right, that's enough. I can't do this anymore. Um, I probably would have been better off just doing other runs but I think that uh, going forward, I could, while I have, because it takes a lot of settings to get ready to do a run. So it's a lot easier if I just do one with Madison, you know, Cook playing one without Cook playing at the same time, save them both um, into separate CSVs. Yeah, that's how I think. And, I would, and, I would and so it. being a newer multi-entry guy, it never occurred to me until you just said that. So thank you, Mark. Yeah, yeah. And so I think that's how I would handle it. But there were there were other injury situations around the league. Like obviously, um, we had a little bit of unknowns with with Hawkinson um, up until like Saturday. It was is Kittle going to play? He was then ruled doubtful. So we had a lot of moving pieces, and I was just trying to utilize those if then statements and. All week, I was building around three primary guys, Devontae Adams, um, and then Derrick Henry and Madison. And then I only ran with like two out of those three in my four lineups for this past week, which I, uh, I'm i not sure why. <laughs> I like looking back in, at my decision-making process, and it was not not really ideal this week. Got it. Yeah. I, uh, so the, the second part of the question was if you had known Madison was going to be, how many lineups did you end up with Matt? What percentage of lineups did you end up with Madison? in? I had Madison on all four of my lineups and I had Derek Henry and Alexander Madison as kind of my build arounds. Um, and then I, ended up with only one out of four Devonte Adams, as opposed to I built around him all week. Um, I wanted, I wanted to lock down the guaranteed points where it was most likely that they would come from and then mix in various game environments from there. And I ended up with four of four Jacksonville overstacks. And I don't know why I <laughs> ended up doing that. Well, because the Jets weren't on the slate, you had to pick the next crappiest team on the slate to to stack. Yeah, when I the, yeah when I was looking through on Sunday watching the games play out, and James Robinson had a hundred yards at halftime, I was like, I'm sunk because I, uh, well, I went too heavy there. I gotta say that you know for me this week I went nuts on Justin Fields about fifteen percent, and so I'm hardly one to talk. Um, but I, I felt like having Fields, who everyone wanted to play for two weeks, 
like without watching the game. See, I, I've been so busy. I don't watch the games like I used to. And I learned a valuable lesson because, you know, the reason no one was playing Justin Fields is because he's the best hander offer in the league right now. Yeah. So and it's just pathetic. But uh, so I bust your chops, but uh, that's a long way of saying I had my own lousy t- uh, situation that I played this week. Yeah. So, I mean, had I had I built around like I intended all week of Derrick Henry and Madison and Dalvin uh, or sorry, Devontae Adams, Devante. like, yeah, like I, it would have been I would have cashed on all four lineups as it were. I only cashed on one of my four lineups and it was a losing week. So um, I'm not sure why I embraced so much variance that was all centered around the same game environment which is was the big mistake now i was i was hunting for guaranteed points as my build around um and then basically let that go out the window uh saturday night and into sunday morning so yeah so um so basically your plan was to attack the main two uh chalks on the slate and then differentiate yourself with a low-owned stack. Yeah, and uh, I wanted to lock in the, the the guaranteed points that I felt that Madison, Devontae Adams, and Derrick Henry specifically brought to the table. Um, and then, as it were, like those those three ended up putting up like ninety, almost a hundred combined points. So I, I nailed the process until it was time to actually put it into action, which is uh, obviously. Uh, a good learning point for me moving forward. Well, and and I think that, you know, we've seen this before with the, the way you play. And, you know, I bust your chops about the Jets all the time because it's fun. But it does seem like a little bit of, you know, and I'm not being critical, but I'm, you know, you brought it up. Uh, I do think it's a hole, you know, you're a poker player. It's, I think it's a hole in your game, right? That, you know, you get into these teams and I do think that you could accomplish because it, the the stack is so low owned. I know we're going for first place, but I I I almost think picking, you know, if three or four different games to go with that main the people that you have the most uh, faith in. Yeah, it won't hit as hard if you're right, but pretty much if you're right on the chalk, and then one of those. Uh, you know, three or four games that you, you know, teams that you pick to be the main stack go off, I think you'll have a really good day. Yeah. And that's like being, being critical of yourself and and realizing those types of things coming into this season, I had actually highlighted that as something that I needed to work on um, as opposed to, you know, like embracing the variance by picking a core and then building various game environments into that core for we're, and we're talking single entry and three max, but but yeah, just like you're saying, like um, over the first four weeks of the season, I did a pretty good job of of differ or I guess diversifying my overall um, portfolio better. And then this past week, I, I fell back into old habits where I, that was a, a pretty big leak of mine last season for sure. Yeah, and and I do think. You know, I'm a big fan of, you know, going hard after certain things, especially in uh, single entry and three entry. I don't mind having 60, 70, 80 percent ownership 
um, on a, on a couple guys that I think are the best plays on the slate. Um, it it's um, you know, so I, again, I think you're real close. It's just giving yourself more opportunities when you get that chalk, right. Rather than getting a big hit when you get the, the other parts, right. If that makes sense. No. Yeah. hundred percent. Yeah. And we'll get to my leaks. I, you know, I certainly have my leaks um, and I'm going to cover it in my video tomorrow. Some of, I keep um, updating my form and I, I think that, uh, you know, well, I'll just talk about it. I think that I don't give the um, projections enough room to breathe. So what I mean by that is, I'll limit. I I think I have too many limits on players, and what I mean by that is, let's say I don't want to. I want to be under on Lenny Fournette. <clears throat> I'll use as as Zandemir likes to call it the blunt instrument of ten percent max ten percent Lenny, right? And I'll do that even before I I start doing any runs, instead of spending more time coming up with rules that will help me to leverage my non-Lenny lineups. And and I, I did better at that yesterday, but I still have that hard, you know, again, as, as X calls it, the blunt instrument, right? Well, I'd like to get to the point where I, I don't use the blunt instrument, but if, for example, in, you know, like a rule yesterday, any lineup without Leonard Fournette increase Antonio Brown Mike Evans and Chris Godwin by 10 to 15%, right? And then do mm-hmm. a couple runs until you get Lenny in the amount of lineups, you know, that you want him in. Um, and that I think that's an area I need to improve in more. Yeah, I, I like it. Yeah, and, and, and because it, it'll get me thinking more about leverage. So I'll give you – I'm going to go into Fantasy Labs, and I did – make some really good rules by the end of the day. But I don't think I need to make those rules and have the blunt instruments. I I hope that makes sense. So a couple rules I had yesterday that I felt good about, you know, lineups that don't include chalk DJ Moore increase Chubba Hubbard by 3%. Um, Because I didn't want a ton of Chubba Hubbard, but I felt he was good leverage on DJ Moore. Would you agree? Yeah. All right. Another one was um, when lineups don't include Damian Williams, Rays, Allen Robinson, James Conner, Damian Harris, and Elijah Mitchell, players who were priced around Damian Williams by 5%. I like um, that as well. When lineups don't include Evan Ingram, increase – Kadarius Tony by 15%. So that was one where I ended up with a lot of Kadarius Tony. And that mm-hmm. that one worked well. Um, lineups that don't include uh Leonard Fournette increase Antonio Brown, Evans, Mitchell, and then I also threw in a couple other running backs priced near him, Javante Williams and Damian Harris, by 7%. So what do you think overall on that a strategy? And am I right? I should not be also putting a second restriction of no more than X amount on Leonard Fournette. 
Yeah, I think it's a it's got to be a case by case basis, right? Um, it, it depends on how chalky a player is versus you know their likelihood of leaving you with a, a slate breaking score. So taking Leonard Fournette. That's another as, good point. Taking Leonard Fournette as the example, um, he was obviously a much better play on paper if Giovanni Bernard were out. Um, and with Giovanni Bernard back in, you know, obviously Leonard Fournette got there uh, through a touchdown. And I think what he had three or four receptions as well. I think um, he still only had 20 points. Yeah. So it, that's that's the point is like his chances of a slate breaking score without Giovanni Bernard were much greater than um, had Giovanni or with Giovanni Bernard playing. So um, I would be much more apt to not exclude him per se in my player window or player pool, but like leverage those um, if thens in the actual um, optimizer to create that environment of kind of to spit out what you're looking for. So kind of along the lines of what you're saying without, and if he's still showing up too much, then you put in the hard, you know, I don't want, you know, no, I don't want to be, 25% 25% Leonard Fournette. There, there were too many other good plays at running back yesterday to play 25%. Um, let me ask you, because I, I asked you this earlier, and I, I, I don't remember getting an answer because I asked the question in four different ways. If you, Were you surprised that Madison was 53%? And if you knew that he was going to be 53%, how many lineups would you have had him in? Personally, I it did not matter to me what Madison's ownership was going to be because his basically on paper and um, through I guess everything else involved in the slate there. Although we had a surplus of viable running back options, there were no um, outside of Derrick Henry. There were no options that could give you like legitimate five to six x salary multiplier at the running back position. And so how I was kind of viewing that situation is like, I didn't care what his ownership was going to be, particularly for single entry and three max. And I was just going to differentiate elsewhere. And I knew that the rest of my lineups would be different enough to not hamstring me there. So the biggest, you know, I've talked about leverage. We both talked about leverage, but the biggest thing that this week came down to, and my biggest miss, was having almost no exposure, zero exposure to the quarterbacks in the Browns Chargers game. Um, and all I got was, you know, a couple, um, you know, a couple lineups with uh, Chargers. Um, and and the biggest problem was that, you know, and why I didn't go after the game is. I didn't really want to play OBJ. I really didn't want to play Chubb or Hunt. You know, none of them on their own. None of them were great bringbacks. So they didn't come out much in the optimizer. Um, The Chargers-Browns game, you know, was that just one of those things where we missed? um, Or was it bad process that we missed? No, I think it was. um, So, I mean there were what, like 35 points scored in the fourth quarter, something crazy like that. Yeah. It was like the book, a series of unfortunate events for my lineups. Yeah. So, I mean, that was a situation where it was an outlier performance as far as game flow and 
box scores go. My process, I don't think I can dent my process for not landing on that game, but if the process of like trying to pick onesie twosies from that game would have been flawed because it was a setup where the likeliest scenario was that game was going to play slow and it was going to be a game where each team was forced to drive the field, which obviously lowers the total overall number of possessions for the game. It it lowers the amount of offensive plays run from scrimmage. But what happened was we saw the chargers come out and also the Browns through the run game and um, through David Njoku uh, generate splash plays. And that really opened up the game. And then we were left with this magical scenario where it was like one of a hundred of happening where players or where each team was basically in the game for the entirety of the game, all the way into the fourth quarter. And they were trading blows at that point, which is, obviously where we get these outrageous box scores, but the, my miss on that is not having one of those basically back to the first question, which was like, Hey, I was being too like narrow sided and tunnel visioned into one game flow, as opposed to um, opening my overall exposure to multiple different game environments, which is what I plan to do and then didn't. Yeah. One thing is <clears throat> I did at one point look at that game and go, Hmm. And then I quickly, because what happens is it's already hard enough to get, you know, I already had 10 or 12 quarterbacks that I wanted to play, which really is more than I like playing. You know, my favorite week is where I can get down to like six or seven, you know, have good 2x ownership. Um, but um, anyway, it uh, it just I, I can't blame myself because, you know, it, it really did seem like an outlier performance more than it was um, something that we could predict and think we had good leverage on the field with. Yeah, yeah, for sure. The the biggest thing that that highlights is just the that in the NFL, like anything can happen, and and we want to be in a position to take advantage of those random, you know, one of a hundred outcomes, which is what that game ended up being. Yeah, and I I look at my my builds, and I had um, I had a lot of Justin Fields, which no one had. Um, that game didn't go off. That wasn't the game. I was slight. I was even weight on Dak and Daniel, um, or slightly under. I was under slightly on Kyler and Lance, and way under on Lance. I I only had three lineups out of two fifty with Trey Lance. Um, I picked Kirk Cousins. I picked Jalen Hurts. I picked the you know the game that I thought would be that game, and that a lot of us thought would be that game was the Green Bay Cincinnati game. And we were wrong, right? But we got a 50-point game where the ownership on the two quarterbacks ended up together to be about only 12%. You know, if that game had gone off instead of the Charger-Brown game, we'd be sitting here like Scrooge McDuck swimming in money. It it just didn't happen. So I think you just got to look at it and say, you know, we played the right angles. We just got 
you know, we just didn't get lucky with the, the result. Yeah. And that's, again, that's the salient point is putting ourselves in the position to capitalize on those outlier events. Um, and we even look at the Packers and the Bengals, like it just happens that all of the, or most of the production from each team went through one player and you Devonte Adams and, and Jamar chase had excellent scores and they were on winning lineups for until like the last two minutes of that chargers game. So. Yeah. And, and, and I think that, you know, that's, that's going to lead me to my next point And my other hole is the fear of missing out, I think is one of the biggest things that can hold us back as DFS players. And I know that for myself, that's a big one. So me playing 15% Dak and 6% Daniel Jones, yeah, I was half under on Daniel Jones. So that is taking a position. And I was, you know, slightly over on Dak. That is taking a position. But putting 21% into the chalk, I think, is a hole in my game. And I think it comes from the fear of missing out from that game last year where the Dallas, you know, we knew that Dallas had been playing at a different pace. And so I look at it as that's something I need to improve on is, you know, do I have a plausible reason to really be under on the key game of the week, the one that has the most ownership? And can I get ownership in that game similar to what you did with Derrick Henry and Devontae Adams by making it very likely that I get, you know, like that Kadarius Tony and CD Lamb, where as we go through the winning lineup from yesterday, we're going to see that parent, right? Did I really need to play Dak and Daniel Jones to 20%? Um, would you agree that uh, that could be um, a hole in my game? Yeah, I think so. And <clears throat> I think that's one of one of my greater strengths is being able to take a firm stance. And obviously that's a little bit different coming from, you know, a single entry three max player where I have to really, really make these decisions to whittle down my player pool. But um, that's probably one of my bigger strengths is being able to, if I see a situation where I want to be overweight on, like I have no problem going all in. Uh, and that can be, that can be a blessing and a curse. I think like, like this past week where I was all over it and then basically went to tunnel vision. So it's a, I think it's a fine line and I think I might be on one end of the spectrum and you on the other. So we need to meet in the middle there. <laughs> yeah. Well, well, yeah, I, I, uh, I, I just think I can get ownership without having the quarterbacks in those games, unless we really think that those quarterbacks are going to be the best quarterbacks of the week. And then I should double, you know, with the chalk, I should be either double my exposure or half or less. This limping at almost even weight, I think is the whole not, you know, because I really didn't take a stand. Yeah. Um, All right. So I guess it's time for the big reveal. Uh, We've hinted at it. Uh, How are your results? Yeah, I cashed in one out of four and lost monies. I lost the most money that I lost on the year. I lost $1,000 basically almost on the slant. Not a good week. But 
Now it is time to go over what did win high-low. And again, I, I've taken the top two lineups. And so G. Hartman, 314, congratulations. He played 28 lineups. And you needed 263 points to beat him this year, which I think is by far the highest total of the year. Correct, Mark? Yeah, we had another high one in week, what was it, two or week three? But yeah, 263. I think that was even like 12. I think it was around 250 uh, that week. So. So here's the winning team. Brady, Zeke, Madison, Mike Williams, Devontae, Antonio Brown, RSJ, Tony, and the Cardinals. So Brady with only a single piece and no bring back. And the the logic right now is if you're going to take a quarterback like Brady, you normally should take two of his receivers. He only took one. And he brought nobody back from that game which makes sense because Miami's not a very good team, but there's a certain amount of luck, wouldn't you say, in doing that? Yeah, that, that lineup had to have a lot go right, uh, which it did, but <laughs> yeah. So there was the, the only real correlation on that team was Elliot with Tony, and then Chalk Madison, Chalk Devontae, Chalk tight end at RSJ, and a good D choice. Um, so I, I think, you know, it's fair to say that this wasn't a well-made lineup. It was the very thing that we preach against, but we always do say, Mark, it's not that doing it that way can't win, but if you played this slate a hundred times, I don't think this lineup wins, uh, you know, does really well too many different weeks. It just that, you know, eeny, meeny, miny, mo. he kept hitting the tiger on the tub. Yeah. It wins exactly one out of those a hundred and which is what it did. <laughs> All right. So, um, you know, God bless and congratulations. Um, but I don't think looking at this lineup, it makes me want to play more, but it does raise one question mark. Since more people are doing the, you know, two with one back and correlating pieces in every lineup, this is the second week in the row that we've seen a non-well put together lineup win. Does it make you think that because everyone's doing it, trying to, to, to guess is a little bit better strategy than it used to be? Or is it still just not the way that we want to play? Well, you have to look at it in the terms of long-term sustainability and profitability over the long run, because we're not here um, looking to be one and done, right? Like if you, if you like make this akin to playing poker, like if you are a tournament grinder and you're out there playing tournaments, you know, over a long sample size, you want to have a strategy that is sustainable over that long sample size, as opposed to you think about a, you know, like, um, a guy who works a nine to five that goes to Vegas, you know, once in his life to play the main event at the world series of poker, like he's probably going to have a different approach to the tournament and maybe, um, embrace more or less variance depending on what his goals are. And so I think when you, when you think about it, like I, I think it would be a mistake to look at the outcome from the past two weeks and say, like, I'm going to alter my strategy because 
this is what has worked. I think we need to keep our long-term view on profitability and play the game with that in mind. So I guess to answer your question more directly, like I know, I don't think it is enough to alter the way that we need to be approaching things. Since you used the poker analogy, I'll throw one out there. In general, chasing an inside straight is a losing proposition, right? And, And yet, you know, I think all of us have been knocked out of tournaments by someone who chased an inside straight um, when, you know, they probably should have folded. Uh, And it it hurts, but it doesn't make you want to play like that. And I would say that that it's not a perfect example, but I think there's some merit to it. Yeah, concur 100%. All right, now let's look at the second team because this one's even more interesting. So um, the first lineup had chalk and a one-on-one, one with no bring back. The second team was Burrow and Devontae and no stack at all with Burrow. Henry Madison chalk with no bring back. (laughs) Again, this time it was the Lamb-Tony correlation. Antonio Brown uncorrelated again. David Ninjoku at microscopic ownership. So, and, and again, the Cardinals defense. So again, I mean, if you showed me that lineup before the day started and said, what do you think of my lineup? I would have had to have really tried hard not to laugh at you. Yeah. Yeah. And it was, it's just, it's, you're leaving so many things that have to go right in order for you to see any profit there. Yeah. Yeah. And congratulations. Look, it worked. Um, that's going to pay for a lot, a lot more bad lineups, but um, you know, it's not um, how we're trying to teach everyone to play here at one week season. I think that's going to pretty much do it, Mark, unless you have some final thoughts. No, that's uh, that was a blast, man. That was a good episode. All right. I'm glad you enjoyed it, everyone. I hope you guys enjoy it as much as we enjoy doing it. And we will see you next week.